Hello, everybody, and thanks very much for joining us. You've joined us for our second uh, LinkedIn Live CM Conversations. Um, my name's Chris Holland, and I'm Director of Marketing and Communications at Charlton Morris. And today I am joined by our Associate Director, Adam Butler, and one of our Business Managers, Eleanor Doolin, and they both specialize in the life science market. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about how to attract great talent to your life science business. Um, but before we get into that, I'll hand over to these two to give you a quick introduction to themselves. So, Adam. Hi, Chris. Cheers for that. Yeah, so, uh, as Chris said, I'm an associate director within our CM Life Science Group. Um, I've been doing this role now for about eight years, so looking for global talent for about seven years, uh, quite specifically in the life science research domain for me. So markets and kind of areas that are pretty hot right now, uh, single cell biology, spatial analysis, uh, genomic, proteomics, protein characterization, just to name a couple there. And um, I'm Eleanor and I work within the life science business, but different area to Adam, focus more on the diagnostic space um, and cover all business functions within that kind of certain areas being kind of the molecular infectious disease space from the core lab clinical chemistry but kind of to that more and more into that oncology and precision medicine as well over the past few years great so yeah thanks for that so it's what we've got here with with Eleanor and Adam um is hopefully we're going to hear perspectives from different sides of the life science space to to see if there are you know similarities or differences in, in what people are looking for in terms of talent or if certain companies are doing different things to to, to others. Um, I should say hello as well. I know we are live on LinkedIn. Um, if you do have any questions for Eleanor, Adam or myself, um, then please do put them in the chat um, and we'll, you know, if we do get time at the end of this, we'll ask them and have a chat about them as well. Okay, so if we jump into the first question, and obviously we're here to talk about how to attract great talent um, to life science businesses, but if we set the scene a little bit and ask what type of talent is in demand at the moment um, in your space, you know, what sort of people are you seeing your clients um, really desperate to get on board? Yeah, uh, I'll kick us off, Eleanor. Um, so from my side, it's, it's always, this is pretty standard, it's always kind of return on investment profiles. So by that, I mean direct sales, you know, senior sales guys, business development people, um, anybody who from day one is going to make an impact um, able to you know go out there and grow the business. So within that, I think there's quite a common common trend at the minute in terms of the geography. Um, so obviously working on a global remit, I'm seeing within the UK, you know, the, the biotech triangle in the UK, so Cambridge, London and Oxford, there's always a kind of a buzz around that, you know, need based on the customers. Um, in America, so in America we've got the New England um, kind of biopharma hub. So anybody in Boston seems to be in real high demand at the moment. Um, and then Silicon Valley, you know, the, the um, origination of the life science market almost, you know, everybody wants to have somebody based there as well. So definitely seen a lot of uh, increase there at the minute as well. Yeah, I'd say that's those geographies are the same within the diagnostics as well. I think across the whole biotech, they're the yeah. real hubs. But I think particularly within the diagnostic space, a lot of innovation is driven from smaller startups and kind of real high level intelligent individuals and they want to grow their business and get it out there. So when they're looking, they're probably looking for somebody who 
can do both, has come from that large multinational, has got the resources, the connections, knows how the corporate world works, but has also worked within a startup, realizes the type of hands-on work that's needed whilst being strategic and has that kind of grit and determination to go forward. So somebody that is very cross-functional is able to, in a sense, wear many hats and understands the pressures of different working environments, really, somebody that can be adaptable to both scenarios and take that to the next step. Okay, cool. So we're seeing, yeah, those those multi-skilled people with diverse skill sets who can so it's all about impact, isn't it? By the sounds of of those two from from both of you, you know, the, you, the one people who can come in and and I suppose regardless of company size, just we, you know, as a as an employer, we can we know that they're going to hit the ground running. Yeah, and get things done is fundamentally what they want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, those were quite broad, I suppose, functional capabilities. But are you seeing particular skill sets? Um, that are, are more in demand than others. Uh, I know there's obviously been a, a, a massive advance in technology across the, the space in the last, what, seven years since we've been, since, since I've been working in this area. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good question, actually, because for me, in life science research, there are a lot of companies that are making real high-end systems. So kind of spatial biology is a real, I think it won like the award last year in the, the upcoming and trending uh, new technology. So from these instruments, these big, you know, colossal advanced systems, the data that they're looking at, the single cells that they're analysing, it, it takes um, uh, quite an advanced informatics uh, program and an algorithm to, to look at it and actually make sense of it, right? Because unless it's interpreted correctly, it's useless. So I'm seeing a big surge of people uh, needing mathematicians, data scientists. Um, it's like a rare blend of mathematicians and biology. So Pretty hard skill set, but definitely more and more at the minute. I'd, I'd say that translates over to the diagnostic side of things as well, that bioinformatics skill sets, people that understand those different programming languages, because every instrument or small device has the software embedded in it, but also that things are going cloud-based, that things are going more and more and more digital um, as we kind of moving on over the, like you said, the past seven years, but kind of increasingly over the past two definitely with that cloud-based software element to it and I think hand in hand goes into that personalized medicine space that's the way the diagnostics is going it's it's no longer one size fits all so people that can bring that skill set and within that people that have got the connections as well to go from the diagnostics into the pharma and do that pharma partnering that is so necessary to kind of move on to that personalized space. Oh, great. Okay. And I'm, I'm assuming as well that when we're talking about some of these data scientists, these bioinformaticians, we're not companies in the life science space aren't just going to be competing with other life science companies for them, are they? Um, you know, we, we, we're looking at every technology company wants these types of profiles. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to work even harder to, to attract that talent and, and bring them in. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. I mean, more than ever, having to innovate a way that they would actually attract the talent Right, they're having to think of different ways, and um, I think that would bring us on nicely, probably to the second lot of. Yeah, yeah, you're doing my job for me. But uh, <laughs> what are the so what are the what are those best in class companies doing to attract talent? Then, work from you two, obviously, work with a wide range of businesses, big and small, right across the space. But what are you seeing that's that's making the difference and making those those candidates want to 
want to come and work for them? Like fundamentally, it's those that are working harder to do it, that those companies that are realizing the importance to do it, that no longer you can just trade on a name and expect everyone to come to you. It's a really competitive and exciting market. Every company offers something different. So making sure you're working hard to kind of get those people and retain them as well in terms of the resources, your talent acquisition, your kind of the message you put out there really. Um, And also kind of having the mindset of the not everyone is going to want to work for you. So you're going to have to fight a little bit for them as well. If you want them there being in a sense, humble and that you want people to come work for you, acknowledging that people might, might need a few processes of more engagement, more enticing to come and work for you and kind of realizing that you're against other people. So you've got to put that time and resource into getting the best. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that the, the, the being humble comment, I know that you sometimes see, see companies and, you know, you might speak to a candidate on their behalf and, and the candidate says, oh, I'm not sure. And you say that to the company and they say, well, you know, we're not interested in them. If they're not desperate to work for us from the off, then we don't want them. Are you, you know, are you seeing that, are you seeing companies lose out on great people because of that then? Yeah. Yeah. If you just turn around and say no, because they've kind of come back with a few questions even sometimes, yeah, you're going to put people off and not just that one person, my market, Adam's market is so well connected and message will get round very, very quickly that it was like a, well, fine, go away. You don't want that message or that reputation. Yeah. Interesting. Adam, what are the, what are the, what are the best in class companies doing in your market then? Yeah. So just touching on that, it's quite nice. I was going to say more about having a bit of empathy. A lot of people are kind of deploying a sense of empathy from day one with, with the fact that, you know, talent isn't necessarily looking. People are always going to be looking to leave. Pure talent acquisition manager or your HR manager is approaching people a little bit more unsolicited, cold calling, cold contacting. These guys need to think, well, why would they join us? You know, am I being quite commanding to expect them to send their CV in a day or they're not interested? Probably not. You know, be more realistic with your expectation of the candidate. It is a candidate-led market at the minute. There's a lot of competition. You know, the startups that are growing, they've just got funding, they need to hire people at quite a time you know, line is then your bigger companies that are expanding, acquiring new companies. So they need to backfill perhaps other roles. So, you know, think about the talent pool um, and, and try to set yourself apart and just, you know, relate to their side. Okay, maybe 10 years ago, I was in a similar situation to you. I wasn't looking, but guess what? I'm here now, 10 years down the line. You know, giving, giving examples of success within a company can really help. Um, and I think that links quite nicely to a bit of transparency, guys doesn't it, to your approach. Um, you know, again, if you are trying to headhunt or, or track talent from a competitor and it's a really niche area, you probably don't want to give up too much market intelligence from day one. You're probably not going to tell them all of your tricks of the trade. But thinking about things like maybe, you know, an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, putting something like that in place, um, whereby you can be a bit more liberal with the information you're talking about, um, you know, and it shows that you trust in them and they're probably going to see a higher engagement level. Hopefully, they'll hire that candidate as well. So letting candidates have more insight into your vision as a business earlier on in the process and, you know, where where your plans are, not just, maybe not just a five-year plan, but what you're going to be doing in the next three, six months and, and you know, showing the real tangible things that are going to be happening. Yeah, exactly. Letting them know, letting them in, you know, it's not a secret. To an extent, if they are going to be your next employee you need to think right well 
this guy or woman needs to know our plans. You know, let's not keep too many cards to our chest. Yeah. So I think you did that as well, Eleanor, from your side. Yeah, I think definitely. And I think kind of making sure those NDAs and kind of sharing that information really allows a candidate to truly understand if this is for them. Because if you don't share that information, they might join under false pretenses or think it's something else and then leave in six months and then we're back to square one and you've just wasted time and resources on it. And I think kind of different a little bit, but what I'm seeing and I think what is attracting really high level talent with years of experience is understanding that if you're a smaller company, maybe not tiny startup, but smaller company, you can't compete with the salaries and the additional benefits of kind of larger market leaders, but showing what you can give, what they can't give. So kind of if you wanted somebody with, I don't know, 15, 20 years diagnostics experience, business development to come to your 10 person company, how are you going to attract them? But it's offering things like equity and really showing that you're invested in them. You believe in you believe they can make a difference to you over the next five, 10 years, and that they're going to get something back, not just for their work, but for the team's work. It gets them invested, it shows that you trust them, it gets them more motivated, and fundamentally probably keeps them in the business for longer as well, because they want to see that return. And kind of similar things like LTIs, long-term investments, it retains people, it shows that you see them being for there for a long time and that impacts that how they see themselves in your business as well yeah it's a bit of trust isn't it that it, mm. again it's showing that when typically we're so used to companies having all the the power in these situations or feeling like that our, our candidates doing that it's certainly flipped and clients and, and companies are having to be i suppose vulnerable in some ways aren't they and and what I'm hearing there is candidates are appreciating that, that they're welcoming it and that's making them much more inclined to, to join. Yeah, it's that two-way process, I think, um, that you have to give to get something back as well. Yes, the candidate needs to come and impress you, but you need to impress them as well. You're selling, you want them to work for you if you're interviewing them. You can see a potential value they're going to bring. You have to put your cards on the table as well a little bit and kind of entice them. And so... You've, you've said there about smaller companies and, you know, offering things like equity and LTIs, which is, which is great. And I'm sure is what you would need to do to coax someone from the, you know, some huge names into come and, and lead your, your BD team. But what about if you are a, a really big business, you know, if you were already huge and you've got very rigorous processes and things in place and you can't do those sorts of things, like what, what are you seeing those sorts of businesses doing um, to, to attract talent or to, you know, go that extra mile? Yeah, so I'll answer that one. So a really good idea that I've been seeing recently, and I mean, we've been trying to roll this out in-house at CM Life Science as well and, and Charlton Morris as a whole, is helping um, get across the, the company brand and, and, and marketing the brand of the company. So from a cultural perspective, um, putting more kind of resource into the digital. Some startups don't have the, you know, the funds available to do that. So naturally, that's not going to be their go-to. But like I said, for your bigger multinational, multi-billion companies, they can do that. Um, so just taking a little bit of time and, and trying to, um, you know, voice your side of the business. Why would somebody join us? Well, this is what we believe in. These are our cultures. This is what we stand for. You know, this is what we envision for all of the employees. So getting across not just about your technology and, you know, how many patents you've got in a particular market, but showing them that human side of the business, you know, human resources, right? It's, it's people that you're, you're looking to recruit. So like making it less kind of mechanistic and less robotic, 
uh, strip it back and, and show them, you know, what you do on, on weekends, quarterly incentives. Um, and that goes down really well. People feel more comfortable, right? They, they, they're joining, you know, a family, a work family, not just a, a business Monday to Friday. So that's definitely something I'd say. And just to follow that as well, it's like letting them envision themselves working for you. So they, if somebody's going to come and commit the next five, seven years to your organisation, they need to be able to see that they can make a difference there or do well there. Yeah. And I think an interview process shouldn't be rigid that you're only ever talking to your line manager or your line director. It, I think I see a lot of candidates really value kind of talking to their peers and people that maybe have been in that role are now going on somewhere else internally or doing the same role in a different region and how what they get out of it, kind of what their relationship's like with their manager as well. It's not always, an interview process shouldn't always be your higher ups. It should equally be the team you're going to manage or the team you're going to be working alongside is, I think, really important. Obviously, obviously the smaller companies, the startups in the market can learn tons from from the, the huge established players. And, you know, there's a, a million articles and things written about their success stories and the brilliant processes they have in place. But the idea that, those larger companies can try and learn from those smaller companies in terms of putting a human face on on the companies is, is I think, an interesting point. And I know firsthand from what we're doing, um, we at Charlton Morris have just launched a, a new product uh, called CM Client Hubs, where we're working with companies, big and small, to, to try and create content with companies, with people, to show off to candidates before they join to get that human face on it. And by all means, do that with us. But I would urge, I would urge clients to, and companies that are in the market and recruiting to do that because, yeah, I mean, realistically, a huge multinational business is really a collection of lots of small teams of businesses, isn't it? So you want to show off what that, that small business is going to be like. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. I think we've covered that effectively, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some of the 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 things that companies can do during that employer branding talent attraction process. I know we've got about 10 minutes left now. Um, and so I would say again, if anyone does have any questions, I mean, we'll try and get to them at the end. But once we get into the, the interview process, Adam, you've touched on a couple of things already, but what, what can companies do from a recruitment process perspective to increase their chances of success? Yeah, right. So... Number one for me, um, I would say the speed, the speed of which you can kind of streamline your interview process is, is imperative. It's so critical. Um, again, going back to it being quite a candidate-led market at the minute, candidates have got the luxury of choosing from, you know, an array of, of great companies. You're not the only company. Don't be fooled that although your technology is brilliant and it is novel, there are other companies out there that are doing similar things and also very attractive. So try and move quick with your process. You know, your bigger companies out there, you probably will have more uh, protocol in place and slightly more red tape to an extent. So you can't possibly move maybe as quick as what you would like. But just making sure that everybody's aligned. You know, if you know you've got uh, two really good candidates at final stages and you can speed that particular interview up, you know, a couple of days, um, two days in advance, that'll be, that'll be crucial. There might be another company that's able to move one day quicker right? And, and the candidate makes a decision and, and withdraws from your process. Um, speed at which your interview panel are available. Again, everybody's busy. Nowadays, working from home, you don't realise, you know, what you actually have to do. But, you know, people aren't making themselves available to interview and speak with a great candidate at your next 
you know, superstar, it's not going to reflect well, first of all, on the candidate. They're going to think, are these guys serious? You know, do they really want to hire me? Um, and it does happen, you know, candidates and clients will ask and inquire, is that position still available? The client will ask, is the candidate still there? And unfortunately, no, um, it's moving really quick, quicker than ever. So try keep speed at the heart of everything uh, moving forward. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to say, Ellen, I was going to ask you, actually, are you seeing companies do things like whether they're, whether it's with an external recruiter or whether it's an internal talent acquisition or HR team, are some companies like setting up frameworks where they're guaranteeing feedback in X amount of days to try and keep that slickness going? So that's what I was going to say. It's like about the the speed, but the efficiency of it as well. Like yeah. kind of, yes, you can give feedback or just schedule a next interview really quickly. But if that candidate or the internal hiring team don't have all the information and aren't all aware of what's being said or an issue raised in the first interview for that not to be communicated to an internal talent acquisition or an external recruiter like me or Adam or just the the hiring manager it messes things up it's like well we're talking about something we've already talked about and like Adam said everybody's really busy so the last thing you want to do is take someone's time and go over the same things there needs to be a kind of transparency and openness with everybody involved in the whole process make sure that the talent acquisition know exactly what it is the main points you're looking for the most important points and make sure that's kind of communicated to the candidate as well and I think honest feedback to the candidate is really important not everybody's going to ace every interview there's going to be points that need to be picked at a little bit more or clarifying and making sure the candidate's aware of that so they've got a little bit of a doubt on you on here. So let's push on that in the next interview and get across why you still think you're good. Um, So it's just all about that communication from the candidate to the recruiter, to the talent acquisition, to the hiring manager, to the decision maker. It needs to be kind of really well aligned. Okay. And, and, and would that also, um, so when you've got that slick, clean, good process, is, is there also a need for, I mean, look, everyone's human, you get people on good days, you get people on bad days. Is there a need to have that communication to make sure that the interviewer is in the right frame of mind and, and you know, that they're being as open and inviting as possible and it's something that they've prepared for? I'd say so. I, I mean, as, as common sense as you think that would be, um, <clears throat> there might be somebody, like you say, in an interview panel who hasn't quite had the briefing and isn't aware of, you know, the feedback today. Um, and, and, and somebody's kind of dropped the ball and it does show, you do hear feedback from candidates and they're like, oh, well, yeah, I had a great meeting with, you know, um, Mr. Joe Bloggs, but <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Smith down the road, he he wasn't aligned and it seemed like they were both completely conflicted. And that can leave kind of alarm bells ringing in people, you know, if there's not an alignment in the management team, where am I going to fit in? You know, is this the right time for me? Is it too risk? Uh, is it too much of a risk at the minute? Um, so just thinking about it and just having a solid, clear um, strategy with the with the guys that you're going to have interviewing. Make sure everybody's aligned. You know, everybody's brief. The feedback has been concurrent, like Helena said, you said. Um, and if you merge them all together, speed. You know, the slickness of a process. Um, making sure that if you think you found your candidate, uh, don't be afraid to voice it to them as well. So kind of a little separate topic, but from an empathy standpoint. Um, Getting yourself in the in the finalist shoes. So if you think you've found your candidate, but you've still kind of kept a bit of um, how do I say you've, you've you've kept your car still close to your desk and you don't want to tell them for whatever reason, 
you can't do that right now. You know, you need to be telling this person, look, we, we really like you. We're going to get your feedback probably in two days. You're all right with that. Do you have any other interviews that are ongoing? Ask them these questions and be open because you'd be surprised. Although you think this person is lined up and ready to join your company, how many other things they have ongoing? And out of courtesy, maybe they're not going to be confident to tell you. So, you know, drop your ego, speak with them on a personal level and keep your communication really high. Um, and that should help you, you know, secure in the talent that you want. Interesting. Great. Um... We've had a couple of questions in. There's five minutes to go. Um, we've had one um, that I think we've touched on, but I'll ask you, Eleanor, if you can elaborate. I know you do a lot of work with startups. From Charles Stewart, who said, if you are a small company, and I know you've mentioned those equity and LTI incentives, how do you attract candidates from larger companies to you if you're a small business? What, what other little things can you do? Well, I think it's one finding out as well why the candidate is interested in you as an organization and what you can give them that their current employer can't obviously technology is really important and you, people want to get behind the mission of a company and take that and better patients lives we're all talking about fundamentally the same thing there but kind of get attracting somebody to you is about filling their need as well as them filling yours so really finding out what makes them tick how you can kind of counteract a frustration they have at the moment and selling it to them there as well. And kind of that flexibility, really, I think within a startup, yes, you can have a job description, but having flexibility on that and realizing, okay, you want to add that aspect into it. We're a small team. We can kind of give you that little bit of responsibility or offset something you're not so keen on at the moment to somebody else because that atmosphere and that culture is instilled in a startup. Everybody's chipping in where they are um, and kind of, just find out their need, really, utilising your new, unique selling point to them, why you're exciting, selling them on that part of it. Yeah, taking advantage of the flexibility you have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. Um, and, and one other question, this one I'll, I'll put to you, Adam, because um, I know that you touched on that uh, data piece earlier, but um, it's from Alexandra Fernandez, and she said, do you think that some life science companies could be missing out on untapped talent by overvaluing industry experience. So, you know, should life science businesses be looking further afield than maybe just in that very strict um, category that they're working in? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's hard to give kind of a linear answer. It depends on, on you know, multiple variables. What kind of product are they looking for? What kind of skill set is it? Um, sometimes if they can maybe be a little bit more flexible and a little bit more open-minded, um, I hear stories of candidates who jobs that don't have PhDs, they're not coming from a life science domain, but if it is about software coding, you know, C++, C Sharp, um, .NET, it's the same that Apple's doing, it's the same that Amazon's doing, and they learn the industry experience. Um, I appreciate some clients, perhaps, given the speciality of a market, and, you know, it might be really key, key, key necessity to have a particular type of technical experience, but yeah, absolutely. I think some companies are missing tricks because there are thousands of, you know, really cool high-tech software companies out there that train their talent really well to a high level. So, you know, if they can be open-minded, I think, yeah, they are probably missing a trick and maybe they should be a bit more open speaking with candidates on life science. Interesting. No, cool. Um, so, look, we've got a minute left. Um, so I'll ask you both before we go. Eleanor, we'll go with you first. But if you have one, one tip... 
um, that you would give one one takeaway for any companies watching this, be it HRTA or hiring managers. You know, what would your one bit of advice be to a business as to how to attract great talent? Yeah, I briefly mentioned it, but utilizing your USP, what you what why you're different, why you're exciting, making sure a candidate knows that from day one and it's kind of reinforced throughout the process, why you're great to work with, making sure that is kind of honed in every part of the way. Great. Adam. Thanks. Yeah, so my side is transparency. Um, be as transparent as you can. Um, for a candidate to want to join you, they need to feel like they know the full picture. So I think we touched on it, but tell them as much information as, as you know you can um, legally uh, get away with. If it's a real top secret confidential position in a project, maybe not. Maybe look at an NDA. Um, but as much as you can, be transparent. Um, relate to them on a, on a human level, right? You know, they also need to know why they should join you. So just keeping that level of transparency and communication as wide and open as possible. Right. No, perfect. Um, well, I mean, I'll t- throw my answer to my own question in there. And I'll say that for me, I think that as we are seeing so many companies invest more in that employer brand, putting that human face on the business, then I think that's going to be a real trend that we, we continue to see and, um, and, and, and companies will do more in that. But that about brings us to time. Um, so thank you very much, firstly, to everybody um, who's watching on LinkedIn um, and who's watching this as a recording as well. Um, if you do have any further questions we couldn't get to them, please get in touch, cmconversations at chartonmorris.com. We'll be happy to answer them and come back to you. Um, thank you very much to Eleanor and Adam for your time. It's been great to uh, get your insight and thoughts on this. And you can see just there, um, we've got our industry-specific website, searchinglifescience.com, which is where this recording and all of the other great content that we create goes. But no, that's it from us for today. So thank you very much, everybody. And um, yeah, we'll be back next time.